0: You try to look for something new to do. So I was thinking the other day, you know what? I'm going to start a zoo. I said, how hard can this be? So I called Tallahassee and uh, they explained to me how what I needed to do to get started. So I bought a brown bear and a black bear and two polar bears. And my friend said, that seems really odd. I said, you know what? It does seem odd, doesn't it? So I called back to Tallahassee. And I said, what is the deal? I got a brown bear, a black bear, two polar bears, whatever, and... Uh, the guy said, "Listen, that's just the bare minimum." <laughs> huh? <laughs> now, here's what I want to talk about today. So many Christians are very content doing the bare minimum. How how little do I have to do to be a Christian? How little do I have to give and still call myself a Christian? How little do I have to serve and still call myself A Christian. What is, what is the bare minimum number of times I can come to church in my lifetime and still be a Christian? You're you're asking all the wrong questions. When you realize that Jesus Christ died for you, the question is, how much can I? How much can I serve? How much can I give? How many times can I go? How do I help my neighbor? How do I help out in the church? It's not about the bare minimum. It's about what can I do for a God that would love me this incredible, this incredibly much. In Proverbs 1-7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom starts when you start fearing God You don't fear God until you know God You don't know God until you read God's word And once you start getting through this process And you realize how small we are And yet that God would love us And wants to deploy us and use us and use our talents That is an amazing gift So the passage we're looking at today is in Isaiah 52 So get your Bibles out, iPhones, scrolls Whatever you brought with you so that we can look at, we just look at six verses. Here's the summation of it. Wake up and shake the dust off of yourself. Now, if you remember last week, back in 51, they were saying to God, the people were saying to God, God, you need to wake up and you need to do the kind of things you did years ago. We want to see your miracle working hands. Now God says, no, it's time for you to wake up. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the foundations are being destroyed. The foundations of our society, the foundations of our culture, the foundations of the church. And it is up to us to stand firm and help rebuild those foundations of family and church and marriage and the key components that are there. Nobody else is going to do that. It's up to us. Now, it's one thing if somebody yells at me to wake up. But if they say to shake the dust off of myself... That means I've been laying in the same place for a very long time. Would that, does that make sense to you? You don't get covered in dust by sitting down for half an hour. You get covered in dust when nothing has happened for days, weeks, months, years. And that's sadly what happens in so many churches and amongst a lot of Christians. And we're, we're, we need to awaken. The word is used twice. He says, he says to wake up twice. We, Hebrew has no punctuation. In the language. So if you want to emphasize something, you write the word twice. So when we start this verse, it literally means God is yelling at you and He's telling you to wake up and shake off the dust. So here we go. Stand out of respect for God's word, please. Awake, awake, O Jerusalem, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord? For my people have been taken away for nothing. And those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long, they make my name constantly blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold you yes bad translation yes i am is how that should be translated you can be seated so he's showing us that we need to know who god really is and again we all have a tendency to shape god in our own image you shape to god in an image based on Maybe the family you grew up in, maybe the church you grew up in grew up in or didn't grow up in, but we all have an image of God, and what we want to see is how God defines Himself, and he starts off here by talking about himself as a deliverer. He says, "Wake up, your deliverer is here." Look at the passage. He talks about people having shackles on their necks and, and chains on them. What's that mean? They're enslaved. Well, that's the physical sense of what's happening to Israel. But so many people today are enslaved by, you fill in the blanks. Could be any addiction you have, alcohol, drugs, porn, maybe something nobody even knows about. But you're shackled and he says, wake up, I'm here to deliver you. See, we have a God that came into the world to deliver us. And this is why my outlook on life is a little bit different than other people. Now, don't get me wrong. Am I frustrated with what's going on in our world? Am I broken with what's happening in Afghanistan and Iran and North Korea and United States? And and I'm frustrated across the board. But here's what I believe, that this is about to be the church's greatest hour. Because for the first time in a long time, it's real clear that it's black and white. It is really easy to see who's with God and who's against God. And I'm telling you, most people are starving to know the truth. Now, there are some people I'm well aware. I know them personally. They are happy to go to hell. Nobody's going to stop them. And they really believe they're going to change hell. They will by adding a po- to the population. That's all they're going to do. But we have a message about a deliverer. See, I don't need a God that I can look at and say, oh, there, that makes me feel better when I look at that picture or that cross or whatever that might be. That doesn't help me. I need a God who can deliver me from the worst times in my life. When my finances are broken, my marriage is broken, my life is broken, my heart's out of line, I can't get along with anybody, things are falling apart, I'm dealing with grief. When I'm at my very bottom, I need a God who will deliver me. A God who will pick me up out of that mess and say, not only will I clean you up, but I will forgive you and I will open heaven for you. That's the God that we have. And that's why he tells them to wake up. You're not just, this is not just some picture or poster or some statue that we're talking about here. This is the living God who has come to set you free. Now that's news somebody needs today. Whether you're in Palm Bay or DeLand or you're watching online or you're sitting here in this room, there are people that need to know that Jesus is your deliverer. He came to help you out of the most difficult times in your life. And I just picked two examples. Daniel chapter 3, the three young men get thrown into the fiery furnace. And instead of taking them out of the fiery furnace, Jesus goes into the fiery furnace with them. And before it's all over, Jesus brings them out. But it's their speech beforehand when they said, we know, O king, that our God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not worship your statue. We will only bow to the living God. All right. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel's in the lion's den. Crazy story again. Is my God big enough to deliver us? Daniel wasn't sure, but he went down in there and prayed. And God did what? He delivered him. Now, I don't know what you need to be delivered from today. Maybe it's your mouth, your mind, your heart, what you're watching, what you're thinking, what comes out of your mouth. I don't know what you need to be delivered from, but the message is that we have a God who will deliver us from all of the shackles and all of the neck, the next uh, restraints that we have. Everything that is holding us back, we will be set free so that we can love God. Now again, let's back up. So w- when you've been set free, you don't think about the bare minimum. If you were, if you were locked in a jail or you were about to drown and I pulled you out of the water, would you look at me and say, Joe, I would like to do the bare minimum to thank you for saving me. Tell me what you like and I'm going to do just as little as I can. I don't think so. I think we would say, hey, whatever. Whatever you need, whatever you want, because you rescued me. You saved my life. Jesus says in the the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, what what we pray, Lord, deliver us from from evil. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're asking God for deliverance. And yet we don't accept the fact that He is there to set us free free from all of this junk. Here's here's a quote that maybe we can all learn from. The goal of the gospel is not to affirm you. Pay attention. It's not to celebrate you, nor is it to accept you. The goal is to rescue you, transform you, and redirect you. See, we, we get, our culture has gone so crazy. We, well, God's got to accept me. God's got to accept my lifestyle. God's got to accept, God doesn't have to accept anything. He came to set you free from some of these things that you're clinging on to that you think are wonderful, and they're actually the things that are destroying you. But we also learn that God has another role, and we learn that by learning His voice. He said, my people will know my voice. Now, you know the old story. If you, uh, if you see pictures of shepherds in the Middle East, <clears throat> there'll be four or five shepherds up on top of a hill, like drinking coffee or whatever. I don't know what shepherds drink, but uh, whatever they've got up there on the hill, and all the sheep will be mingling together. But when the shepherds decide it's time to leave, and they walk off, they simply will start talking And those sheep that are all in there together will all spread out and each one of them will go right in a single file line behind their own shepherd. That's the picture that's being used here. Jesus said in John 10, he said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. There's the big word. They know my voice and they follow me. And that is so key to us understanding this. It's like, oh yeah, I know Jesus. I, I, I know all about this God stuff. No, no, no. He said, remember when Jesus called the disciples every time? What did he say? Follow me. All right? And, and you kind of get this idea, well, uh, that's the, kind of like a robot, right? I just walk along behind Jesus. No. To follow, when Jesus says that, it means to be like me. It means to live the way I live. And as a rabbi, what it meant was you copied your rabbi. Literally, if your rabbi wrote left-handed, you wrote left-handed. What if I can't write left-handed? You'd learn to write left-handed because your rabbi writes left-handed. And so when Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me, it means that we do the kind of things that God has called us to do. Now, there's so many things going on right now, and I'm just going to throw them out at you. You can't do everything, but you can do something. We need lots of candy for our outreach to the kids for a Halloween. We, we need ravioli and soup for kids in school. Schools are begging us for food. Whatever you got, please bring it to us. Our kids have nothing to eat on the weekends. We're working with 17 different schools right now uh, throughout our county and one other county. We've got, we've got 17 food pantries in the schools. Yes, I know there's the golf tournament and there's, there's other events going on. The shoe boxes are out there. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? Don't listen to Joe. You ask God, what does God want me to do? God will tell you. God will make it clear to you. And you don't. If, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. You do what God has asked you to do. Because God's sheep do what? They know his voice and they follow him. So in John 10, verse 5, we read, But they will never follow a stranger. Sheep are too smart for that. You can't bluff a sheep. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Now, this is really funny because they're standing looking at sheep. They're literally watching shepherds bring sheep out of the field. Jesus tells them the story and they go, I don't get it. I think sometimes we struggle with that same thing. I don't know what God wants you to do, but I know He wants you to do something. And I know so many Christians, none of them in this church, but I know a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians that are not just covered in dust, they're covered in mud. They've been been laying down so long, they've been plowing stuff on top of you. And, oh, I still go to church occasionally. Yes, if you ask me, they would say I'm a Christian. But man, they've, they've so long ago stopped following God, stopped praying, stopped being in His Word. And he said, truly, the one thing that will keep you on track is that you know the voice. Because if you hear a wrong voice, you don't follow. What's the sheep do when he hears a stranger's voice? He runs away. He runs away because he knows that is not God's voice. And you and I have got to understand that principle. In Revelation 1, interesting passage there, it says that when John, John's on the island about to get the, the, the revelation that we have in our Bible, it says that he heard the voice behind him. There was no body behind him. There was a voice behind him. And he turned around to see the voice. That's what it says. All right. Because God is his word. And it's a message to us that we need to follow his word. And so whatever that means, if you're not in the word daily, find a way to get into it. Whether you're reading a verse a day, chapter a day. Listen, guilt is not what we're after here. I would much rather you read one verse and go do it then say, well, I've read the Bible through for 50 years in a row, and yet you're still covered with dust and mud because you haven't decided to get up and actually follow God. But then the last part that he talks about, he gets real specific. Because the Assyrians had their gods, the Egyptians had their gods, all these other people have got their multitude of gods, and we've got the same thing in the world today. And and God said, but I'm going to let you know... That there is one God, and His name is I Am. The word there means the self-existent one. It means, it's actually an action, where you and I are a noun. when When you think, Joe, I'm a noun, right? Sometimes a sitting noun. But God's name is a verb. It's an action. I am being. I am all present. That it's—I mean—it's kind of hard to put that down. So, in other gods, they're saying, "Oh, I worship this god. I worship this god. I worship this god. I worship the Almighty God, who is supreme above all gods. I worship the one. His name is I Am." It's from Exodus three fourteen when Moses met God up on top of the mountain. And then again, my friends drive me crazy to try to say God never claimed to be God. I have some of those. And if you'll read the Gospel of John, and just look at the I am statements of Jesus, they're everywhere. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the doorway to heaven. I mean, the imagery is everywhere. Well, how do you know he was claiming to be God? Well, every time he said something like that, they said, we need to go kill this guy because he's claiming to be God. It's amazing what happens when you read it. So God has a name in english we know him as jesus and he stepped into the world to give his life for all of us for all of us and he wants us to know who he is so that you don't go out and build a statue so you don't go build a totem pole so you don't go put some picture on the wall and say this is my god no My God is so above and beyond all of that, and He exists outside of this world. Do I understand everything about Him? No, but I know that He is the I Am above all. John chapter 8, verse 58 is one of the funnest verses. They get Jewish leaders get into an argument with Jesus. And Jesus just looks at them, and they said, uh, There is nobody greater than Abraham. So who in the world do you think you are? And Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. Now you can figure out what he was talking about. He's making it very clear that he was the one who put Abraham into place. He was the one that put everything into place. In fact, can I brag on our God for a minute? You want want to have some fun while we're finishing this up? You're already here. You already paid for the tickets. All right. Let's, uh, (laughs) let's, let's just get this. Can I have some stars up there on the screen? All right this is this is just a little bit of fun, but one of my friends uh, actually did the research on this, but there's when you look up in the heavens, you see the stars. most of those stars are much, much larger than the sun, and in the Milky Way galaxy, there are ten billion stars, ten billion stars that dwarf our sun, and then the closest galaxy to ours is Andromeda. Andromeda has one trillion stars. Now to give you perspective on a trillion so you know how far you want, you are in debt as a country, if you were if you were to spend a million dollars every day since the day Jesus was born, you still would not be at a trillion. And what are we? Nineteen trillion? Now, we probably lost a few billion while I was talking, so it's hard, to, it's hard to keep track. I just want you to see the immensity of the number. But scientists estimate that in the entire universe, now we don't know what we can't see, but what we can see, that there are one billion trillion stars. It's a one with zeros behind it like that. If you go back to Genesis one sixteen, I love this. It says, God made made the earth, made the water, and then it says, he made two lights. The greater light for the day, the sun, and the lesser light for the evening, he called the moon. And then this is what it says, and he made the stars also. That's it. And he made the stars also. This was like a throwaway sentence, like it's not a big deal. A billion, trillion stars, all in some kind of system and order out there that God has controlled and put into place, spinning around, and they're all there for us to look up. The heavens declare the glory of God so that we will be amazed at who God is. That we will see His majesty and give Him praise and credit. Now, I don't know where you're at today. Whether you need the God that's the deliverer, whether you need to know personally God and not just some God that's out there, but you need to know that our God is supreme over all. He is the Almighty. Or do you need to sit somewhere quietly and listen to His voice? Do you just need to hit play on your phone? Sit down for 30 minutes and let God's Word seep into your soul. Or ask somebody for advice. Hey, I'm struggling with this topic. Can you tell me what God's Word has to say about it? We'll give you a list of scriptures to help you through that process. But I want to tell you what scares me the most. The the church throughout history goes back and forth. Uh, Back in the 18th century, the church was all about hell and damnation. We kind of went through another period of that, I think, at the beginning of the 20th century. Well, now the pendulum has swung the other way where all we talk about is the love of God. And we don't talk about the fact that God still is a just God and he's a God of wrath. Just like my dad, you could meet whichever dad you wanted to meet based on the decisions that you had made. All right. There is, there is a judgment day coming. And it seems like to me that we have tried to air condition hell. And what I mean by that is if you really understood that hell is a place where people are completely cut off from everything that's good. They are in eternal fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth. They are in eternal free fall because it's a bottomless pit. And they can never escape. If we really believe that, first of all, you would accept Jesus. You'd make sure you're right. But second of all, if you believe that, you would be out trying to get everybody you could. Because I don't think you want anybody to go to hell. Some people have decided they're already going to go. But I don't think any Christian is saying, I hope this person goes to hell. Even our worst enemy, we don't want them to have that kind of suffering. This is where it falls back on us. Right in front of you in the chair, if you're on the front row, you're going to have to reach behind you. There's a brown card. Looks like this. I'm going to ask you to take one of those out. All right? We really struggled with this last night. This is the participation part. All right? So pull that out. And I want you to write on it names of people that you know right now They need Jesus. They need to come back to church. They need to get right with God. Whatever. You can write down their full names. You can just write a first name. You can just write initials. It doesn't matter to us. And I'm going to ask you to start praying. But as you go out, there's the cafe. Right by the cafe, there's a wall out there. And that's our prayer wall. I want you to hang it up out there so different people can come by and they can be praying for all of those names and begin to, that God can begin to move in their hearts about them getting right with God. Does that sound like a good idea to you? Now, if you're here right now, you can come right over here as we're singing this last song, the decision spot, people will meet you there to answer questions. How do I accept Jesus? How does this work? If you're online, there's a button. I've decided, push that button. People will interact with you. But I think the brilliance of this passage is reminding us that too often we're content to do the bare minimum. I worship the bare minimum, I serve the bare minimum, I give the bare minimum, I I pray the bare minimum, and I'm tired of that. Are you guys ready to go to another level? Yeah. 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 Let's do that. Father, I pray that we would not settle for the bare minimum, but that we would we would want all that you have for us And we want to give all that we have back to you. So, Father, in whatever ways your spirit needs to move, I know there are people who are chained heavily right now. They are enslaved to all kinds of problems. I pray that they would meet the deliverer. pray that others would learn to turn things off and sit quietly and find the voice so they would know to follow you. And Lord, we want to know you personally. We want to know the great I am. We want to meet the God who stepped into time to rescue us. So Father, would you speak to each heart now? In Jesus' name, amen.